Dear congregation, we come this morning to the fifth beatitude in Matthew chapter 5. The fifth beatitude, Matthew 5, verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Now, as we've gone on, we've noticed that there is an order to the Beatitudes. And one of the things you you might notice is that the first three Beatitudes speak more to what's inward, Uh, the the poor in spirit, the the spiritual mourning, the, the, the meek spirit. And really there then you have the, the first table of the law that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the attitude of the Christian before God. And then in verse, uh, or Beatitude 4, this hungering and thirsting after righteousness, really the result of the first three being poor in spirit, mourning because of it, taking your place before God, means that you stretch out your hands to God. Uh, and you, you stretch out your hands for, for righteousness. Beatitudes 5 to 7, the ones we're just beginning this morning, really then reflect the second table of the law, which is our relationship with our fellow men and women. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Here's the attitude of the Christian before his fellow man. He's merciful. He's pure in heart, and he's a peacemaker. And it's the first of these we'd like to look at this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. And just like the other Beatitudes, this too would be shocking for the people who heard it. Blessed are the merciful. Now, children, this is, remember, the, the Roman army is walking around at this time. And if a Roman soldier was in the crowd, they would think, blessed are the merciful. The, the Romans said, what we need is a strong man. We need a powerful man. We need a man of courage. We need a fierce warrior-like man, not a merciful man. That's a weak man to the Roman. There was a Roman philosopher at this time who said, mercy is the disease of the soul. It's saying, if if you're merciful, you're sick. It's the disease of the soul. But the Jews also, who were certainly listening to Jesus, they wanted a strong Messiah. They wanted someone who could fight the Romans, someone who was going to be strong. They, they needed a mighty Messiah, not a merciful one. And so this was, this was stunning, and this was a shocking thing to hear. Blessed are the merciful, and yet, isn't this truly one of the most beautiful characteristics Spurgeon calls the Beatitudes a ladder of light. It's it's as though they're getting brighter and brighter. Well, certainly when when we come to this Beatitude, the merciful, we we can certainly make a case that this is the most beautiful, the most God-like, 
the most Christ-like. The Lord our God is merciful, we, we sang in Psalm 103, and He is gracious. Remember how He describes Himself, God describes Himself to Moses, this is my name, this is who I am. Tell the people, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, abundant in mercy. Psalm 145 verse 9 says that over all the other works of God are His tender mercies. Micah 7 verse 18 tells us that God not only gives mercy, but He delights to give mercy. He delights in mercy. Micah 7 verse 18. And so, the Puritan Thomas Watson says, God appears most glorious in the shining robes of His mercy. Now, by works of mercy, we resemble the God of mercy. But what then is mercy? Now, children, you, you hear the word a lot. There's probably not a service where you don't hear the word mercy. What does it mean? Well, you notice that you often hear it in connection with another common word, grace. God is gracious and He's merciful. The grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so these two are very similar. But when we think of grace, we're thinking about someone in their sin. Someone in their sin, and God gives grace. God gives forgiveness. When you think of mercy, you're thinking of someone in their misery. Someone who is really, really sad. Someone who is really, really down. And, there, and mercy comes to such a person. Mercy, if you want a, a simple definition, is compassion at work. It is compassion in action, if you will. And if you want mercy, you, you need two ingredients. You need compassion and you need action. And you must have both. You're not allowed to take one out. You're not allowed to have compassion but no action. You're not allowed to have action and no compassion. If you take one of the two out, you don't have mercy. And the Bible speaks to this. In James chapter 2, somebody comes to your door and they're cold and they're hungry. And you say, well, be filled and be warm and you close the door. Well, you, you're you're saying nice things to them. In a way, you're being compassionate. I feel for you. I'm sorry for your hunger. I'm sorry for your cold. But you close the door. You don't help. It's not mercy. Or turn it around in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3, Paul says, though you give everything you have to feed the poor, but you don't do it with Christian love, it profits nothing. It's not mercy. Children, you think of your friend comes to the door and you, you can see that there's something wrong, but, and they, they say, I'm really, really hungry. And, you, and I'm really, really cold. It's, it's a day like this, and they're, they're freezing cold, and you know, they don't have enough 
clothes on, and you say, well, I, I hope you feel better soon. I hope, you, I hope you can have some food soon, and you close the door. That's not mercy, is it? But if you took them in and you said, well, okay, have some food then. You know, I, wanted, I really wanted to eat this food myself, but you, you can have it then, okay. And you give them some, some of your clothes to make them warm, and you're like, I really wanted these clothes, but you, okay, you can have it. You know, you're, you're not giving them the food and the clothes and love, are you? It's not mercy. Mercy is when you take them in, you say, of course you can have food. Of course you can have these clothes to make you warm. Please eat. Please put these clothes on. This is mercy. And 1 John 3 verse 18 says, we're not to love in word only, but also in deed and in truth. So this is what mercy is. Of course, you have the example that we read with the Good Samaritan. We, we know the story well. There's a man at the side of the road. He's been beaten up. Robbers have got him. And he's almost dead. He's, he's lying there and, he's, and he needs help. And then this priest comes past. And this is a religious man. And he looks at him and he sees him. And maybe he thinks, what a, what a terrible condition this is. Maybe he offers a prayer for him, but it's, it's too dangerous. And so he keeps walking. That's not mercy. The prayer wasn't mercy. He didn't do anything. And then the Levite comes, and he, say, he basically does the same thing. Maybe, for all we know, he began to sob and weep. What a sad situation this poor man's in. I, I, I really can't help. It's too dangerous for me too. And he walks on. That's not mercy. These tears are not merciful tears. And then the Samaritan comes, who's actually an enemy of these people. And what does he do? He looks at him. Maybe he begins to weep as well. Maybe he prays as well. But he goes over. He begins to pour the expensive wine and oil on the wounds. He picks him up and puts him on his vehicle, which was a donkey at the time. So he walks, and this person takes the, the donkey to a place and in, and he gives him all the money he needs to help. That's mercy, says Jesus. That's mercy. Love in action. Well, we want to consider this, um, firstly by considering mercy received, then mercy reflected, and then mercy rewarded. Firstly here, we have mercy received. Now, you look at these Beatitudes, again, you look at the order, and you, and you see, well, wh where is this person? They, they began with being poor in spirit. I don't have what I need. And then they began to mourn because of it. They were affected by the fact, I don't have what I need. And, and it brought them to a place where they, they are meek, and, and they, they look up to God, and they take their proper place before God. I'm nothing. God's everything. And then they, they, they stretch out their hands for righteousness. They hunger and they thirst, like the person coming to your door, hungry and thirsty. But you're coming to the door of heaven, hungry and thirsty for righteousness. And what happens? You were fed. You were warmed. You were given what you need. You were given mercy. And, and, and this person, when you've been warmed and you've been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, 
and you've been fed with His Word, and your sins have been washed away, and you have received mercy, what do you say? How do you feel? You realize, I did not deserve this. You realize, I deserve the opposite. I deserve to go to hell because of my sin, and yet I received the kingdom of heaven. I deserve to be in misery and pain because of what I did. And yet, I received comfort. I deserve to lose everything because of my foolish sin. And yet, I have inherited the earth. I deserve to be filled with cursing. But I was filled with righteousness. What you're saying is, God has had mercy on me. And here's the thing. When when you realize this, and you you realize how great God's mercy is, you realize it because, like our call to worship told us in Psalm 68, verse 13, I, did, I was in the lowest place. I, I, des- I was in the lowest hell, the psalmist says, and your mercy reached me there. Because your mercy toward me in greatness doth excel, and you have delivered my soul out of the lowest hell. That's Psalm 86, verse 13. And so you realize the help the Lord gave me, it's not a small thing. You know, the food that Christ fed me with cost an incredible amount. What lengths God went to have mercy on me. To have mercy on me, that there would be mercy for you, that there would be food for you and righteousness for you, and comfort for you. What did God do? He sent His only begotten Son. His Son came. That there would be mercy for you. His Son became man. Took our nature. Came into this sin-sick world. That there would be mercy for you. The Son of God suffered and bled and died on a horrible cross, a cursed cross. Therefore, in all things, Hebrews 2.17 says, it was necessary for him. You want to know what was necessary? That there would be mercy for you? Listen to this. It was necessary for him to be made like unto his brothers, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest and things belonging to God to make, to make reconciliation for the sins of His people. What, what a cost. And, and you look at Jesus, you look at Christ, and you say, His whole life was a, a ministry of mercy from beginning to end. He was driven by love. He was driven by pity and compassion. He was moved with compassion over and over and over and over. You read it in the Gospels. He was moved with compassion. His whole life was an uninterrupted display of pity and love and mercy. But here's the point. How costly 
that endless pity was. What a price he had to pay for that most tender compassion. What a death he had to die for that love. Because for him, it was not just pity. It wasn't just a compassion that looks and pities and walks on. For him, it was pity and compassion in action. Jesus did not say to you, be warmed, and then shut the doors of heaven. He did not say, be clothed, and then close the door of heaven to you. No, when he saw you in your misery, he came. He took your nature so that he could suffer, so that he could die, so that he could bleed, so that he could open up a way that whereby the mercy of God could flow from heaven to you. Here is love in action. Here is pity and compassion at work, bringing him all the way to the death of the cross. The Christian is saying, I have received mercy. And so secondly then, you have not only mercy received, but you have then mercy reflected. And, and here's the thing, once you, know, you say, how is it possible to receive this kind of mercy? To, to see everything Jesus did how he came, how he lived, how he was born and lived, and how the things people said to him and did to him, and, and the way in which he determined to go to Jerusalem and gave himself to, to the death of the cross. And for me, how can that possibly come into our consciousness and not affect us? The thing is, the Bible does speak about people who receive mercy in, in a way, and, and they don't then show it. Remember, there's a man Jesus speaks about, and he's forgiven much of his debt. He comes and he says, Master, mercy on me. I, I can't pay. And the master forgives him everything, clears the debt. And then he goes away, and he goes to people who owe him money, and he says, you pay me everything, or I'm sending you to jail. So he, he received such mercy. And yet he was so cruel. It tells me he, didn't, he wasn't thankful for the mercy he received. But the person who has received mercy from Christ, the person whose feet have been taken out of the miry clay and set on a rock, must be to some degree a merciful person. The apostles speak of how there is to be a reflection of the mercy of God in our lives. 1 John 4, 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Ephesians 4, 32, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Colossians 3.13, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a quarrel, a disagreement against anyone, as Christ forgave you, so also you forgive them. 
There must be in the person who has received mercy some reflection then of this mercy. And how does it reflect? Well, the merciful spirit will desire to help people in need. People in need need mercy. And the righteous man, Psalm 37, 21, he shows mercy and he gives. Verse 26 of Psalm 37, he, he is ever merciful. And that's exactly what we read about God, wasn't it? That he is ever merciful, Psalm 103. Well, now the righteous man reflecting this is ever merciful. He sees people in need. He is ever merciful. And so he he helps people in need. And the merciful person will have a spiritual concern for people. He'll have a spiritual concern. It's not not just helping people's outward outward needs, although it is that but it also extends to their spiritual need. That's really the motivation because that's their greatest need. You, you know why this world is in misery. They don't, but you know. You, you know why they're in misery. It's because of sin. Sin has brought this misery. And if you were right with God through this mercy that there is, you would be right with one another. It wouldn't solve all the problems of, of this world, but it would solve your greatest need. So the the merciful person helps people in need. They have a spiritual concern for people. But the merciful spirit will, will change the way we respond to people who hurt us. How will we respond when we have an opportunity to hit back? You know how it goes. Right? Someone does something to you, it hurts you, it was cruel, it wasn't kind. And, you know, give it some days, weeks, months maybe, and suddenly, you know, the whole situation's turned around, and now you have an opportunity to kick back on them. You know, they did it to you, and now they're going to feel what it felt like for you. How do you respond? The merciful man or woman is no pushover. But they, they do not respond in kind. The merciful person, when they see people lying, hitting, stealing, doing hurtful things, they, they reprove them, but they feel, they feel pity for them. When they speak horrible things, when they backbite, when they when they, when they do these, these, these terrible things, there's this feeling of pity in the merciful man. They, they see how they break God's law. And yes, there might be righteous anger, but it's not so much waves of anger. It's waves, waves of pity or rivers of waters that flow down my eyes, the psalmist says. And so you look at these people and you see them under the power of sin, being, being controlled by the prince of this world, Ephesians 2, verse 2. But do you know what Paul says in the next verse, in verse 3? Among whom we also had our way of life in times past. See, I wasn't any better than them. 
And the merciful person then, he doesn't condone, she doesn't condone the sin, but they pity the sinner. And they reprove the sinner. That's mercy. That's compassion in action. Rather than just speaking about it behind their back, as it were. So the merciful person, they, they, it changes the way they respond to people. But the merciful spirit, very importantly, very importantly, delights to forgive. Delights to forgive. So they're not going to stick the dagger in first. They're not going to say, well, I'll forgive, but first you need to feel what you've done to me. And, you know, you need to squirm first. No. Listen to John Angel James, an old writer who has a beautiful sermon on this text, and he says this so well. Mercy will act the part of a tender surgeon who in healing the wounds of his patient will inflict no unnecessary pain. Mercy needs a quick discerning eye a gentle hand, a tender heart. Many of its objects must be dealt with delicately. For thou, O Lord, art good and kind, and ready to forgive thou art. Abundant mercy they shall find who call on thee with all their heart. And so the merciful person delights, like God, to forgive those who seek forgiveness. The merciful person needs courage. Remember the mercy you are reflecting. Remember the cost it cost Christ. Remember the lengths he went to. And so the merciful person will go to difficult places. The merciful person will go to, to, to places of, uh, that are incredibly difficult perhaps to get to but he will go there, she will go there, they will give up time, they will take risk, they will give up money, like the Good Samaritan, to bind up the person they see in need. They won't just walk past. But let's lastly here consider mercy rewarded. We've seen mercy received, mercy then reflected, and now mercy rewarded. They, it says, shall obtain mercy. Now, it is important here, again, to emphasize that this is not saying the reason God is merciful to you is because you first have been merciful to others. Will I give mercy to this person? Well, let me see if they're merciful first. Because you know the reality? We're not merciful by nature. We don't have mercy in us by nature. And it's just as well God doesn't give us mercy on the condition that we are first merciful to others. His mercy is first. You know, the Christian, you know, the, the Beatitudes can be hard to read at times because you go through them and you say, I don't, I don't see this in myself. You know, it says, I, blessed are the poor in spirit. And I, I find myself so often quite satisfied in my own spirit. It says, blessed are they that mourn, and I find myself very unaffected so often. It says, blessed are the meek, and yet I find myself to be very proud. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and I find myself without a spiritual appetite so often. It says, blessed are the merciful, and I find a 
cruelty in myself so often. No, this is, but this is saying those who are merciful are people who have received mercy. They have been mercied. God has had mercy on them and there is therefore this characteristic that comes out in them. That's what is being said. And so when this characteristic does come out of them because of the mercy they have been given, then they obtain more mercy. They obtain mercy themselves every single day, if not in words, then in in these exact words, then certainly in thought. The Christian is saying, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, here's a question. Can you live one day without mercy? Just one. Just one. What about one hour? One hour, no mercy. Can you do it? What about one minute? One minute without mercy. Just sit there. Try not to think anything wrong. Try not to say anything wrong. Just one minute. Can you do it? Would you do it? One minute without mercy? No, it's impossible. The Christian would say, no chance. Not one second. Not one millisecond. Not one heartbeat. I need mercy every moment. Mercy from my birth. Mercy from my conception. Mercy to my dying day. Mercy at the beginning. Mercy at the end. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Every day I need this. Every day I receive this. Every day, God says, I will be merciful to you again. You obtain mercy day after day, moment after moment. You obtain it for yourselves. But you also obtain mercy when you see others receiving mercy. Now think about it. You see someone in distress, children, that friend who comes to the door. You love this person. It's your friend. And they come in and they become warm. And you see them warming up from the cold. And you see them eating the food and being filled. You see them receiving mercy and you're happy for them. In a way, you're getting mercy because their distress became your distress. And so when they receive mercy you're receiving mercy. And so you see mercy in others, and you see others saved, you obtain mercy because you're in distress for them. Samuel Rutherford says it beautifully about his congregation in Anwath. He said, if, if one soul from Anwath meets me at God's right hand, my heaven will be two heavens in Emmanuel's land. Your congregation, I want hundreds of heavens in heaven with all of you there. They shall obtain mercy when they see others receiving mercy. And lastly, they obtain mercy at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not really from conception to the grave, is it? It's It's from conception to right through eternity a God of mercy. And at the judgment seat, you know, why should you not go to hell after a life of sin? The wages of sin is death. Why should you not go to hell? You know, what's your plea? What, what are you going to say? I tried my best. It's not good enough. 
Mercy. Mercy. They will obtain mercy. And it's what Paul writes of Onessa, um, Onessa Forrest in 2 Timothy 1. Listen to this. He basically says, Onessa Forrest had mercy on me. He refreshed me often. He was not ashamed of my chains. He sought me diligently when I was in Rome. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy in the day of the Lord. And on that day of the Lord, what does the Lord say to those in his right hand? You were better people? Well, he says, I was hungry and you fed me. I, I was in prison and you visited me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was on the side of the road and you went over and you picked me up and you took me to the inn. I was knocking on the door cold and hungry and you took me in and you did it in love. You did it to me. I was doing it to my friend. No, you did it to me, says Jesus. You will obtain mercy. Come, you blessed of my Father. You who have showed mercy because of the mercy I gave you, yes, and you reflected that mercy. You gave mercy. Come, you blessed of my Father. Obtain everlasting mercy. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Luke six thirty six. And let's read 35 to you. Luke 6, 35 and 36. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and you shall be called children of the highest. For he is kind unto the thankful and the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father in heaven is merciful. Amen. Let's pray.